there are any elementary kids still left in here, they can go ahead and head out. And middle schoolers, sixth through eighth graders, you guys can go ahead and head back there too to meet Kenzie and their volunteers. <laughs> Looks like all the kids just took off, right? They didn't need my permission. So who is God? Do you guys uh, remember what your like, earliest recollection or memory or thoughts were of God or Jesus? I want you to think about that. What's the earliest memory you have? I was not a kid that grew up going to church, um, so I didn't get to go to Sunday school or VBS and hear all the stories and, and maybe be in some of those settings where those thoughts and discussions would have been rolling around in your head. But I do distinctly remember um, being at my babysitter's house when I was about four years old or so, and I used to have to take a nap in the guest bedroom. And in the guest bedroom, I was not a very good nap taker, for one, okay, truth be told. How many of you were those kindergarten kids that just never laid down on the mat and did what you were supposed to, right? Yeah, I was just like, oh my gosh, come on, right? So a lot of energy, but I think another piece in why I didn't take naps is because right above the headboard of the bed in that bedroom was a picture of Jesus, and I couldn't find one that looked exactly like it, but kind of a similar picture there like that. How many of you grew up in a home, grandparent or something that had a picture of Jesus on the wall like that? Okay. So you're laying there trying to go to sleep, but Jesus is watching you, right? <laughs> and actually the one that, that she had, the face was a little bit more turned towards, you know, the, the room, kind of facing forward. So it had the eyes that kind of looked like it was following you. Um, and just like staring deep into your soul, right? So needless to say, I was not a fan of Jesus. Um, I felt like he was watching me and judging me and surely disappointed in me, um, even though I really didn't know anything about him. So the God that I learned about in my teenage years was much different than the Jesus that I first remember or thought I knew. Um, I've shared with a lot of you guys that uh, growing up, as I entered into high school, I had a cross-country coach who was a Christian. And my coach, um, my freshman year, you know, I couldn't drive, and we only lived about a half mile from each other. So he would pick me up and just take me to practice and to do all kinds of stuff. And um, I now know, because I did my compliance training for the St. Joe School District, that my coach was out of compliance. Um, <laughs> But thankfully he was, because he made a big difference in my life on all those car rides. So, um, but he would pick all my freshman buddies up, and um, he loved music. And so we would always have the latest uh, cassette tape in the tape deck of some Christian band, um, who I knew none of them at that time, but bands like Petra and Whiteheart and Leon Patillo. And uh, Michael W. Smith, of course, in his younger days. Um, but honestly, truly wretched music in hindsight. It was just really bad music. Um, but while we rode around in the car and just had a good time, I, I began to pick up pieces of the story of God and began to kind of learn about this Jesus person through these songs. And I began learning lyrics and singing about Jesus before I really even knew him. And then sometimes coach would take us to a Christian concert, and that was an experience. So you'd be at the concert, and people are raising their hands, and I'm just, just weird. And 
um, they would give a gospel presentation and they'd tell people, you know, come forward if they want to receive Jesus. And they'd have this altar call. And it was just all extremely strange to me. Um, But it was somewhat intriguing um, and compelling because this was a different Jesus. Um, This was a Jesus who was inviting and, and loving and had done some things for me that I was unaware of. Um, and so this was a God who was for me, not out to get me. And so that was a shift. And like a lot of you guys, I eventually um, kind of gave my life to Christ at a young life camp in high school. And I don't know if you remember, if you were young when you became a Christian, but those early days when you tried to read the Bible for the first time, you remember that experience? Uh, maybe for a kid especially that had not grown up going to church, I knew nothing, right? So, you know, my, my leaders would tell me, okay, you need to read the Gospels and, and get a highlighter out and, you know, highlight the things that, that stand out to you or that are interesting or a verse you want to memorize. So, man, I'm just, you know, highlighting all the good verses in the Bible, you know, all the stuff that was like, oh, man, that's so interesting and I love the way God does stuff there. But then also kind of like, um, conveniently skipping over the parts of the Bible that were like, ah, I don't know about that. Um, or maybe that was kind of confusing or maybe even parts that, about God that kind of troubled me or p- places where I really didn't like the way that he was kind of acting or responding in that situation. I wanted a gracious and loving and forgiving God back in those days for sure. And honestly, Um, In my youthful simplicity, I'm not even sure that I would have been able to process or really kind of understand um, a a God in in different situations that seemed kind of cruel or indifferent or just apathetic or absent altogether. Um, So maybe you can relate to that experience for me, with me. But this past year, I attended um, two different conferences, um, and at both... Uh, the same speaker was there. So the first conference was the World Vision Pastors Gathering last January. Um, And then I went to the Christian Alliance for Orphans Conference in May. So same guy, this guy named Krish, K-R-I-S-H, Krish Kandaya, was there. And um, he spoke, and I'd never heard of the guy, um, but I have now. He's a super intriguing guy to listen to. Um, He runs a ministry in the UK that cares for foster kids and refugee children. Um, It was the first time I heard him speak. They actually gave out his book called God a Stranger. And as I began to read it on the plane home, uh, I began to immediately kind of connect with this guy's thoughts process and some of the questions, and, and it was just really compelling. And I thought to myself, man, I need to do a sermon series on this, these ideas someday. So here we are. And since I couldn't think of a better name than his, we're just going to use that. So we got this amazing slide here that uh, Steve created for us. (laughs) Stranger Things fans will recognize that. God is stranger. So that's going to be what we're going to be talking about this uh, fall. So in the introduction... Um, I'm just going to be kind of laying some groundwork here today for where we're going to be heading. So in the introduction of the book, his similar kind of experiences that he had, um, non-Christian family, um, but much younger than me, he says like about seven or eight, he got invited to church by a family friend, this lady that would kind of take him to church every week. And he remembers going to Sunday school class. 
and beginning to learn uh, the stories, or at least a version of the stories in the Bible that, uh, that was kind of the safe version that he could learn or they would willing to tell him as a kid. And so he says that he remembers, you know, they, they talk about how God saves Noah and his family from the flood without mentioning the fact that God also then wiped out the rest of humanity in the process or about how, you know, Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt and part the Red Sea and all that without mentioning, you know, some of the plagues where like God killed the oldest son in every Egyptian family. Or maybe familiar with Joshua, you know, and then he leads the Israelites in the promised land. Hooray, right? And they have the great story about blowing the trumpets and walking around Jericho and the walls come crumbling down, right? We teach all the kids these songs, but they don't mention the fact that then the Israelites went into the city and killed every man, woman, and child there, except Rahab and her family, of course, but, you know. Um, so, and, and he says in the book that he doesn't really blame his teachers for skipping over certain details because for a child of his age, it might have been a little bit troubling and disturbing to, to sort through. But really, it's honestly hard for any of us to kind of sort through and reconcile. But it begs the question, doesn't it? Is who is this God we think we know? Who is this God we think we know? And some people, when forced with some of those kind of troubling things, uh, just focus more on the New Testament, right? Because Jesus seems a little bit easier to swallow, maybe at times. Stories of him loving people and searching for the lost and welcoming the prodigal son home and healing the, the lame and the sick, dying to set us free from sin. That's the God that we love. But if you've been around a while and you've read the whole Bible, you know that there's some dark stuff in there. Some stuff that kind of at first glance, you're kind of like, hmm, <laughs> it's confusing and troubling, but we can't simply ignore it either. And so, Kandaya goes on to explain his church experience like this. He says, every time I went to church, or in later years when I attended youth group or a conference, the speakers would point out to me the encouraging parts of the Bible worthy of a highlight. Decades went by in which I only read, studied, or preached um, and meditated on those oranged up sections. Less than 10% of my Bible qualified for being made fluorescent, but it seemed to be enough to cover most occasions, from weddings to funerals, from daily devotions to addressing large conferences. Nobody noticed or even questioned the fact that I had never once in my life preached on a psalm where David calls down curses on his enemies. Perhaps nobody noticed because all the other Christians were similarly well-versed when it came to highlighting the bright and beautiful story of the Bible we all knew and loved and ignoring the rest. But he said that things kind of came to a head for him when he was confronted with um, the refugee crisis that's been going on in our world for, for quite a while, probably in the last couple of decades in particular. Uh, it's been all over the media, and, and we've seen the images of the you know, the boats of people leaving the Middle East, North Africa, trying to get to Europe and the catastrophes and things that have happened there. But tens of millions of people um, in countries all over our world because of war, violence, um, famine, whatever it might be, have had to flee um, to other countries, um, bordering neighbors and get stuck in these refugee camps. And it's just been this, honestly, kind of a horrific uh, scene of human suffering that's really overwhelming. And as an adult, uh, Kandaya says he traveled to the Middle East and um, spent some time in Syria, kind of during the whole uh, crisis there, and was meeting with um, 
some families there who, you know, were going through some overwhelmingly hard things. And he said that he felt really incompetent in those moments trying to figure out with these Christian families, how can I encourage them during this time? And he said that those highlighted verses that he'd memorized um, didn't seem to, to fit, uh, you know, the equation of how, of how to encourage them. He said, you know, standing there and saying, you know, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, or my yoke is easy, my burden is light, uh, seemed kind of hollow for the experience that they were going through. And maybe you guys have been in some of those situations where, especially if you've been in a situation with somebody um, who was experiencing some pain that you've never experienced yourself, trying to figure out how do I explain to them <laughs> or share with them what God is doing in this time in their life, and, and how do I explain it in a way where they get some comfort from that time? And so um, he said that it forced him to face the low lights of the Bible, those mysterious and troubling unhighlighted parts when God showed up in strange places in unexpected ways or maybe seemingly didn't show up at all. He started to wonder, was there hope for a broken world in some of those troubling stories with a God we can't really grasp or understand? And so as he began to dig deeper into Scripture, here's what he found. Here's a quote. He said, I discovered a God who cannot be fully pinned down, explained, or predicted. It seems that when God turns up unannounced, uninvited, and unrecognized, this is, that is precisely when something truly revolutionary is about to kick off. And I'll say this about my own spiritual journey. As I've gotten older... Um, and most recently, I've been doing life with a group of guys. Um, there's seven of us that meet every other Wednesday, and we've really tried to be serious and faithful about helping one another really confront um, the broken patterns in our life, the ways that we operate and, and interact and react um, that just aren't Christ-like, and try to really challenge and encourage one another to change and to be transformed and to lean into that process of what God's trying to do in our lives. Um, and usually, often the path towards change is a path that I would never choose, right? God asks me to walk with him in ways that humble me, forces me to be more vulnerable or exposed to risk than I really want to be. He often desires for me in those times to be more dependent on him than my self-reliant self wants to be. And he always wants me to come become more reliant on community. He wants me to be more open to accountability. He wants me to uh, be open to, to prayer and people praying and correcting me in my life and my thoughts. Yes, even Bob the pastor gets corrected from time to time. But he uses people and paths to shape me. And usually it's people or paths that I would not choose for him to use. So I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. I do not like God's methods of confronting my sin. I don't like them. And, and a particular area for me uh, in my own hangups that uh, I just want to share with you that I continue to struggle with most of the time, I tend to struggle with authority. Because most of the time, I feel like I can lead things better than most people. 
And I'm just, I know that sounds arrogant, and God knows it too, right? And I'm fully aware of that, okay? So I'm not standing up here saying that's a great way to operate. I'm just being honest with you. That's, that really is what the war that rages inside of me. I think I could relieve most things better than most people. So you know what God often does to break me of my sin? He puts somebody in charge of me in some arena of life um, that I don't necessarily like, or I look at the way they're leading things, and I'm thinking, really? Um, God just keeps kind of shoving me back in there until I learn my lesson. And he likes to, I think he kind of takes some joy out of watching me squirm. I really do. I think he, he kind of gets a kick out of the self-justification wheel that starts going in my head about, man, I'm, this is how I'm right, and this is how this person's an idiot, and these are all the things I would do if I were in charge, and blah, blah, blah. And that's gone on for years at times, and has caused me a lot of anguish until I finally get to the point where I'm like, all right, God, <laughs> I surrender. And I've been humble enough to learn from the authorities that God has placed before me. And, and always in the end, if I'm willing to lean into it, um, it's for my good. I become better through that process, but it is never the path or the people that I would choose for myself to learn a lesson. I'm going to ask us to be vulnerable here this morning. Anybody else have some stories of God forcing them to play on his terms to bring about change in their life? Yeah. Okay. Um, I kind of agree with what you're going on. Like, where I'm at, uh, I keep getting put back in the same place. I always end up leaving the spot where I'm at, and then I come back later, and I'm like, okay, well, I talked to God, and uh, he pointed out a lot of my flaws. So I'm at more fault here than I'm willing to express. And uh, in a way, uh, he's really showing myself how I'm being too uh, egoic, how my ego is running everything. Now, I'll go out and I'll pray for somebody, but in a certain way, my ego identifies with that and makes it selfish and it should be humble. Mm, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Super. Yeah, he said that God just kind of keeps bringing them back to the same place. You know what I mean? Like, you just kind of keep putting them right back in there, putting them right back in there. If you're not learning your lesson, and he said a lot of times his ego gets in the way of what God wants to show him. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's not great, but <laughs> it's true, right? Anybody else? Examples of a path or, a, or people that God uses to change you that you aren't thrilled with all the time. Oh, sorry, back. Jake, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he just said any, t- any person that's going to bring your sin to light, you don't like. Like, there's moments where I don't like my wife, right? Because it's like, there's, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. Like, there's times when I know that probably what I'm doing is wrong, and I don't want to tell Kristen. Because I know Kristen's going to tell me how wrong I am, and how I should do it this way, and how I shouldn't have said that, and how I should do this now. I'm just like, I don't want to hear that. So I just don't share it. 
right? And then I just suffer until I finally come around to sharing it with her. And then she tells me exactly what I thought she was going to tell me, right? But then by that point, I've already realized, yeah, I probably should have listened to you. Um, so yeah, yeah, Randy. Uh, my life, uh, <clears throat> I always thought that I did things on my own, and I never give the credit to God. And it wasn't until God humbled me and made me ask for help. Mm. You know, my best thinking got me in the worst predicaments of my life, and I always thought I could weasel my way out of whatever I did. Yeah. Yeah, good. So through humility and realizing that I need you, I can't do this on my own. Yeah. How many of you know you need to change, but you want to change the way you want to change? Yeah, right? I mean, the idea of surrendering and saying, God, I'm going to let you dictate the terms under which I change, man, that is hard and humbling and... um, just confusing. Uh, it's a hard process, right? Um, so here's what I've discovered. In following Jesus for about 34 years now, is that those easy answers, the, the rainbows and unicorns Christianity, um, doesn't really inspire me. It doesn't make me want to dive into my faith. And um, doesn't make me want to, to go deeper with him. As I've looked back on my journey It's those times where I've wrestled and I've been confused and frustrated and disappointed and searching that my heart really comes most alive. That's when I feel closest to him. The author uh, put it best when he said this. He said, finding out that God is a stranger does not have to be an admission of defeat, but may rather instigate an attitude of curiosity that could be the start of an adventure. I love that. Instead of getting frustrated sometimes with a God that we don't understand, it might be the opportunity to say, to lean in and say, oh man, God, I'm excited to learn something new. What adventure might you have for me where I learn something new about you and about myself and about what you want to do in my life? American author and journalist Dennis Covington once said this, mystery is not the absence of meaning, but the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. You see, if we're honest, a lot of us are more comfortable serving a God that we feel like we can understand. We like it when his ways seem rational and make common sense. We like a God who sees us, the world, our circumstances, the way that we see those things. We like to quote the verses that bring us comfort, right? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And those verses are true, but they have to be kept in balance with other verses that aren't as comforting that God also says, places where God seems like a stranger to us. Like when Jesus says about Paul, I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name. That's not a verse we're going to get real excited about, folks, right? 
I want you guys to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. It's page 81. This is kind of towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been teaching for quite a while. We're going to look at verse 21 in chapter 7. And then he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And when I read this, it first of all makes me think about how many people in the world right now would even say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. <laughs> so that shrinks the number down. And then how many of those folks are actually doing things like, you know, prophesying and driving out demons? Like, that's got to be an even smaller number. And he tells some of those folks that, that he doesn't know them. And all the things that you thought you were doing for me don't count for much here. <laughs> and it makes me wonder, do I know them? <laughs> makes me consider my motives for the good things that I do for God. And so what I'm hoping, hoping to accomplish with this series is a trade of sorts. My hope is that we can kind of trade our overly simplistic, overly safe, sanitized bumper stick versions or thoughts on who God is and how he operates for a more mysterious, fiercer, awe-inspiring, and majestic perspective of a God who is far beyond our comprehension. My hope is that we walk away more encouraged, inspired, honest, and confident in a God who sometimes we feel like we get and a God who sometimes we don't get at all. And to be okay with living in that tension, that both of those things could be true. So sometimes we might get them, and there are a lot of times where we don't get them at all. That it's okay to not always have the answers. To not always be able to explain to ourselves or to someone else why something happened this way or why something didn't happen at all. And that in the midst of that, it's not going to change who God is whether we have the answers or not. It reminds me of Paul's response. If you remember the story, Paul is like seeking out and murdering Christians, right? And so he's got this letter of authority to go to this town called Damascus where he's going to round up the Christians there. This is early in the church movement. Paul's a Jew, and he's, he's got a lot of authority and a knowledge, biblical knowledge. And on this journey, if you remember in the book of Acts, God knocks him down to the ground and blinds him. And does anyone remember what he says to Jesus after Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What does Saul say back? Anybody know? What's that? Yeah, he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Question mark. <laughs> you see, Paul had thought that he'd known God. He thought that he was doing God's work on this journey he was on right then to go round up 
all these followers of Jesus who obviously had to be a phony and a fake. He was going to stamp out these folks before they corrupted other people. But what Paul encountered on that road that day was that God was a divine stranger to him. Have you ever felt that way? Who are you, Lord? In the months ahead, we're going to journey with several well-known biblical characters starting all the way from Adam and Eve next week and on through lots of the uh, Old Testament and into the New Testament as well. Uh, These characters, as they interact with a God who shows up in unexpected ways, with unexpected reactions or demands that sometimes leave them with more questions than answers. But oftentimes just as sure of God's presence and his engagement and love for them. So I want to close by looking at uh, Romans chapter 11. If you could turn there real quick, Romans 11. It's page 1034. That same Paul who that day said, who are you, Lord? In Romans eleven thirty-three, 33, writes this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? As we come to the table today, um, you know, there's a very simple uh, understanding of what's going on here. I mean, Jesus said, you know, this is my body, this is my blood. We, we see that these things represent what he did for us on the cross. And he says, you know, take this and remember in remembrance of me and what I did. And, and so in some ways, it seems like a really simple exercise. But there's a depth to what we're doing that I, I'm sure we haven't grasped. Because there's a certain way in which he asks us to come. Again, this is one of his like on my terms kind of things is that we don't just come to the table because it's what everybody at church is doing. (laughs) He says, first, a man ought to search his heart, that we have to come and we have to repent, we have to confess, we have to own up to who we are and admit that we need him, that we can't do life on our own, that we can't change and be the person that he wants us to be without his help and his intervention and his body of believers to come and be a part of that change process with us. There's a, a spiritual mystery that takes place here in exchange as we come to the table today. And so as we go throughout this thing, guys, I, I'm telling you, I was, I was nervous going into this series because <laughs> we're treading into some deep waters that I don't even know if I know how to swim in. So I want you all to pray for me as I research and study and prepare each week because I'm going to need it because um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where God has us end up in the midst of all this. So uh, thank you guys for, for trusting me uh, to show up. Maybe some of y'all won't show up next week. Who knows, right? Um, but uh, as we do communion here in a second, I'm just, just going to pray. If you haven't been here before, we'll just dismiss you in a minute. You can come up and tear off the bread, dip it in the cup, and then we have a gluten-free option at the very end over here on the left side if you need that as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence today humbly admitting and acknowledging